Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Hey, good morning, church. How you doing? Hey, it's good to hear that, um, that at least half of you feel good. Um, I'm just, I love to just get you know, your feedback a little bit. So um, just to be sure that you're okay before I get into this, how, how you doing? You okay? You're with me? Awesome. Awesome. If you're home joining us, uh, let us know. You can just uh, comment and we'd love to know that you're there. That would be awesome. Uh, otherwise, just uh, wanted to pause and just uh, talk about two things before we get into um, and opening up the words. Anybody excited about opening the word today? God's word's good. Amen. We're going to do that together. Um, if you're at home or here in the room, you want to turn to Mark. We're continuing our series. In particular, will be in Mark chapter 5. Just say Mark for me one time just so I know you guys understand that. Okay, it's Mark. Okay, good. Good, good. So it was kind of funny this week. Okay, I got to tell the story. So my boys were introduced to my friend Mark this week. Um, and so when I introduced him, they had to ask him, like, is your name Mark or Mark? And that just brought me lots of joy because my friend was able to say, no, it's really Mark, which tells me his mom was wrong, I was right, right? So Mark it is. Uh, anyway, um, I, just want, I just wanted to share two things real quick because they're super important that you understand, like, this is... What I desire for you, for anyone, uh, I tell my kids this, I would tell anybody that I love this. Uh, we need to be in the Word. We need to have time with God, obviously. I think it's super important and super obvious. But I have, uh, we have this card. It's around the place. You can get it at the, the Welcome Center, the discipleship uh, stuff out here. Also out here, there's another table that has it on it. Um, but this is around all the time. It's been around for a while, but it just describes like... A time with God, like what it could look like, and if you're having like hard times, like getting into time with the Lord that's rich and meaningful um, and, and, and real, then I would encourage you to try this. It's just something that goes along with the five C's that we have here. We believe there are five um, essentials to community. Um, anywhere a valuable, good community will have connection, deep connection, real care, um, challenge, right, a common challenge. It'll have uh, clarity, and we will celebrate. So when you're spending time with God, it can literally look like that. You connect with Him, spend time like caring, meaning letting Him know what you care about, what's on your heart, and allow Him to minister to you, care for you. Um, be challenged in the Word um, as He challenges you. You're going to want to seek clarity with Him, right? We have the Holy Spirit that will lead us to all truth, so we, we encourage you to spend time asking for clarity of the Holy Spirit to tell you how to apply that Word, and then celebrate, right? Celebrate what God is saying to you and who he is and spend time praising. So this just outlines what that can look like. And if you have or don't have a time with God, we'd love to just give you something, put something in your hand that will help you develop a good time with God that would be rich and real. And so uh, if you don't have that, if you want to grab one, they're at, like, again, these stations out here, grab one, um, use it. If you know somebody who's looking to start a relationship with God or you know that their time with God has been kind of like dwindling and not great, you can hand it on. Take, grab one and hand it out. Maybe you want to take five. Um, tell me if you're going to do that because I'll print some more. Uh, but that'd be awesome. Uh, we want people to have real rich time with the Lord because it changes everything. That's what I need when, I'm, uh, when, I, when it comes to fathering, when it comes to being a husband, when it comes to just being in my world and standing on his truth. I need that time with God, right? 
And I want it to be really, 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 really good time with God. So um, I encourage you to do that. Um, also, I want to talk about the other thing that just keeps me uh, solid and, and sort of uh, firm in my understanding of who God is, but also how I lived it out. And that is having community, biblical community. And I'm not talking about this expression right here. This is awesome that we gather, we worship Him, we give Him all the glory all the time, right? And this is great to gather and do that. Um, but for me, what is essential is having a group of people around me in my life that know um, during the week what's going on, what I'm struggling with, what is great so they can celebrate with me. And we do the five C's together. That group uh, right now, it's like every two to three weeks we're getting together and doing that. But um, in the fall, and, and we'll start back into meeting every week and we'll do that together. It'll be the group of people, the five families that will be together and we'll be praying together. We'll be in the word together. We will do the five C's, connecting, caring for one another, challenging each other with how we're living out the word. We'll bring clarity together. We'll ask questions about the word together, and we'll celebrate together what God is doing. Amen? And if you don't have that, I want that. I want that for any believer, uh, because that's expression of biblical community that I think God intends for us all to have. We call that here small groups, and there's a lot of small groups that have started uh, recently, like in the last few months. Uh, One starts this afternoon, praise God. And uh, if if you're not in a small group, please look on our website uh, or stop by the discipleship table, talk to uh, one of us about that, and we'd love to connect you with either leading a small group, getting involved in in one of the small groups, um, or you can seek one out, like I said, on the the website, or just grab somebody and say, hey, we need to do that, and uh, build a small group, and we'd love to help you do that. Is that cool? So make sure you guys understand that. That's super, super important. Uh, But we're in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to get in the Word. You guys got your Bibles open? in the app or uh, in paper version, the old school. Love hearing those pages turn. It's awesome. We have been uh, going through, Mark, we we left uh, last week the storm, the storm where Jesus challenged the disciples. Have you still no faith? And we looked at that like, man, that's challenging because when the storm happens, Right, We can get into fright. If you've been through a storm or if you've been in life, you know the storms happen. You know that stuff is always going to be happening in life. You know that the storm really could represent many just like weeks of your life daily. It could represent many things that happen to you daily. Um, but the question to them, posed to them, really is, do you still have no faith? Even though Jesus had been amazingly faithful to them up to this point, They still had no faith, and Jesus challenged that um, and called them out for it, really called them out and called them up to walk in faith, to know who was in the boat with them, and to know that he had said, let's go to the other side. So when he said that, he really meant, we're going to the other side. Why did they ever question that Jesus would say, hey, let's go to the other side, when he never meant to go to the other side? So God wants us to have faith, amen? Trust in him, deep faith in him, even uh, in spite of those storms and in the midst of those storms to be walking with him in faith. So we left that scary storm and the disciples had a scary moment and we can relate to that. What scary, uh, fearful, frightful moments in our lives. If we haven't, we're probably living under a rock somewhere. Uh, But if uh, we look at that and we look at the disciples and say, man, you scaredy cats, Um, you're about to see probably a scarier moment um, in, in really many ways, they're about to land on the shore here and a freaky thing's about to happen. They're about to get, I think, scared, even though I think 
Uh, we don't get to hear their reaction uh, because there's so much else happening. Um, we're going to see something that I'm sure scared them. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 5, they came to the other side. That's where we start. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stopped, or stepped sorry, out of the boat, immediately there, say immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had, it, had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, number, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. You guys are about to see fireworks. Can you imagine that? Right? That's kind of crazy. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. There it is again, fear, afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and begged, sorry, began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. So picture this, I'm thinking about Mark in particular because the way that Mark writes this, he talks about immediately, he talks about Mark and Jesus, Peter, all the guys that are there. Mark's giving us this picture of this epic story that's being told, kind of like a movie, and this, this particular scene uh, is, is going along with that. This is a really epic story, and if it was a movie, you can imagine that if, if we can picture together, is this okay? We're zooming out, right, and there's this sea. And I think we have a map or a picture of, like, this region real quick. I don't know if you can pull it up, um, but if we can, just to give you an idea. So this, they're traveling across um, this lake, remember, 13 miles by 8 wide, um, and the Jordan flowing out of it down into the Dead Sea. Uh, at, and if you were to imagine just the... Uh, Capernaum there, which is right towards the top. They're underneath that. He's standing on the side of the shore. He says, hey, let's go to the other side. So they go through the sea, and if you can imagine a diagonal line 
going across that sea down towards, not quite to the bottom, but across that lake or the Sea of Galilee, uh, right kind of like two-thirds of the way down is where they would be coming up on the shore and where they would be landing. Now, there's, there's debate in terms of those spots, but around about that region, about two-thirds of the way down. And so he's pulling up to this area right here and, and looking at that, uh, you kind of get an idea of what this is, is like. Actually, I was thinking about this week, like what is the distance of 12 miles? If I would drive from here to downtown Lebanon, um, if I would go to the coffee shop, I tend to like um, coffee. So I would go to Ziggs in Lebanon. If I do that, I've driven the distance from Capernaum all the way down to where this would have been. Uh, and so you can imagine the distance. They're in a boat, not going as fast, obviously, as I would drive, even though I drive the speed limit. Let's, let's okay. All right. So that's the distance uh, that they would be traveling. Kind of gives you an idea. They're pulling up on the beach. And in this scene, uh, if we would zoom out, you can go to the other screen. Just I want to give us another picture here. If, if you would zoom out, and this is the movie, you're looking kind of at this one. And, and this guy who's in these hills that you can see here, even though this is a modern picture, um, he's looking down. Jesus is pulling up, uh, up to the shore, and he's running down. This guy has been in this hillside, which is where they would have tombs and cemeteries, so they would, they would dig into the ground this way, or they would have rock crevices, right, and create tombs. So this guy's hanging out in these tombs, sitting on the rocks here, and uh, they say he's crying out, right, and he's this guy is making scary noises, demon-possessed. He's using a rock to cut himself. He's got scars from chains all over himself. He's not really living with other humans. He's not probably washing himself. He's probably pretty dirty, pretty disgusting person, right? And he's running down. Now, you're the, one of the disciples. You're getting out of the boat. You're a Jew. There's a pig farm. There's someone screaming. There's, he's got blood all over him. He looks really dirty, unclean. So you're going, unclean, 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 unclean. Why in the world, Jesus, did we just cross the, the Sea of Galilee to come to this? You know? And so they're, they're facing that. Now he's getting closer. He's running down. There's all this kind of noise, this gross dude. And you're realizing like, okay, he's running towards us. This person who's demon-possessed, right? And, and so this is a pretty scary account of what's about to happen. He's getting closer and closer and closer to the group there with Jesus. Now remember, there's boats. There's boats. Not just one boat. There's boats with Jews hopping out onto this land, which is now they're seeing this is an unclean area. And as they get closer, this guy gets closer. He comes down and he dives in front of Jesus. What are you going to do with me? You know, it's like, what are you going to do with me, Jesus? This guy and the, the demons in him are reacting to the Son of God being present. They don't go to, there's a group of Jews getting out of the boat, but one they have their attention on, and it's Jesus. Jesus. And I'm thinking about this, if this is a movie, what you're seeing, you're seeing J Jesus who's about to give these ones permission, Jesus, who this one has to bow down before because they understand the authority in which Jesus has over them and over all things. And Jesus is standing there and the disciples, knowing none of that, they're all climbing back in the boat. Let's just be real. If this is a movie theme, they're, they're all like, let's go. <laughs> Get out of here. Push it back out. 
He's unclean. This place is unclean. This is a cemetery. A demon-possessed dude. Apparently a pig farm. I mean, this is like bad. They're probably chewing on bacon. And these Jews are like, what in the world did we come across the water to this place for? And so I could pause here and just talk about, honestly, I could talk about the permissions. Because this is the, this, like if, if we were looking at this, I see this last week, if you're looking for a reason to say, hey man, this Jesus is the real deal and I understand who Jesus really is because of what we're reading through Mark, this is one of those moments where Jesus is showing who he is for real. And so if you read this and you study this, there is absolutely no reason or way in my mind that you can walk away from this scripture, this story and say, man, I don't know who Jesus is. He's not clear about who he is or what kind of authority he walked in. Maybe he was something else. This makes it very, very clear that not just Jesus and the disciples are saying this guy's something else. It is that demons and those that are possessed by demons have to bow before him because in reverence they know he is in control of all things. This is the John chapter 1 being right in front of us, the living word, the living, breathing God in man, in flesh, fully there, human, but all God. And they're seeing him and they have to bow before him and nothing else. This demon-possessed guy doesn't even see the other Jews climbing back in their boat, right? They're just like, God, what are you going to do with us? Don't torment us. This is the Jesus who we were just singing about. He is awesome. He is powerful. This is the same Jesus who we walk with and who we talk about. So I just want to, instead of just talking about the permission thing, because then it'll just be me all excited and screaming and getting excited about who, how awesome he is. So I'm just going to talk about, because I, I know you guys want to hear me talk about the word. So I'm just going to talk about four observations. This will keep me calm, all right? Four observations about this passage that I think are absolutely imperative that we get and don't move past. And the first is this. There is an enemy and he is prowling like a lion. You cannot, you cannot read this and pass over this fact. There is an enemy and, he, and the scripture describes him as he is prowling like a lion, looking to devour, looking to steal, to kill, destroy. That is his nature. That's what he wants. We're introduced to this same enemy in Genesis. Back in Genesis, uh, this enemy asking Adam and Eve, really asking Eve this question, which was, did God really say that? And this same ploy, this same question has been present many times, maybe even in your own life, but it's there, and it's describing really who he is, the enemy, and it is describing how he wants to take the, the God that you know, bring the God that you know down in power, down in authority, and make us question who God is in his authority. And so the enemy would love nothing more than for you to question, like the disciples did the verses before, when they said, does he really care? Jesus is hearing that question and hearing also, Genesis 1, oh man, we're there, we're still there? Guys, disciples, we're still there? 
But those questions, that same question probably has rolled around in your head, uh, uh, people that you know who are struggling with sin in their life. This, is, this has gone around and around in, in different ways, but you could maybe pick it up like this, like uh, maybe when you think about your sin, you're thinking, well, did God really say that? Did he really mean we can't do this? He just said this, so maybe, maybe we can't really translate the culture and the language, so God really didn't mean this, Right? So it's okay for me to, and so by that question being put out and the enemy writing that question and spinning it generation after generation, we, in our sinful nature, in our humanness, we want to bring uh, God down because if in our sinful nature, we can bring God down, we can dummy it down, we can understand it, we can be like God, but this this is what the enemy tried to do in the beginning. His struggle was he wanted to be like God. And so he presents a question for you and I and puts it in place in the sin nature of the world so that we will go down the same path he did. Because you know what? He hates that we get to be walking in the image of God. He hates us. We have a target on our back because Christ gave us something amazing. Grace. And his blood covering our sin so we get to walk in this life and relationship with God. And he's like hating and cringing every time we understand more of our authority in Christ and our holiness in him, our righteousness, our life in Christ. When we grow in our understanding and begin to walk it out, the enemy despises that. He hates it. And so he is trying to take us believers out. He would love to destroy you, your family. And I know, like, I'm going to talk about this and, and, and talk about the enemy. I don't want to give him any credit, more credit than, than is due, but some people will look at it and they'll be in this camp like they see a demon behind every rock and other people would just say, hey, there, there's no spiritual realm. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, today I'm not trying to pick a place on that spectrum. What I'm saying is you, you can't go all the way over and say there's no spiritual realm and you for sure have to come as far as saying there is an enemy and you even have to come as far as to say he's still active today because this is Christ entering into the world. He's there and still, Genesis is gone, right? We're now Thousands of years later, here's Jesus. The enemy is still active in this way, and through possession, he's doing evil things. So evil exists in our world. The enemy is prowling like a lion, and awareness of that is absolutely imperative. We can't be ignorant to that fact. We have to know, though, that the enemy with his prowl, one of the things he's doing is he wants us to dummy down our sin. He wants us to ask those dumb questions so that we'll rationalize it and, and therefore forfeit our righteousness and our holiness and our life inside of Christ and under that great covering of his blood. And so it's important to understand. It's important to know. It's also important to see the response that was absolutely required by the enemy that I'm talking about. When he entered into the flight space, I'll call it, of Jesus, the living God, they had to bow and they had to ask permission. And so 
Fright is not what I would say is our response. That's not the response I'm asking you to have when you think, hey, you're acknowledging there's an enemy in this world who's prowling like a lion. You need to know that as a Christ follower, here's the right response. We have authority that we can walk on snakes and scorpions, we'll crush them under our feet, and nothing will in any way do us harm, Luke 10, 19. Those snakes and scorpions he's talking about is the ploy of the enemy. So the ploy of the enemy or the, the target that we have on us, right? The enemy can try, but because we have the blood of Christ and we are his, we're that first, and the enemy has to bow. Isn't that cool? No? Amen. It's okay. It's okay. We're all believers here, right? So as believers of Christ, of the good of this world, we have to acknowledge there's evil. Number two is this. The second observation I make is this. Jesus can be rejected. Verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. This is really important. These people came and saw what Jesus did. There's authority and power displayed, and they were like, whoa, uh uh-uh, no way. They rejected, and this is important for us to understand. We cannot avoid this. We have to understand because this frames, again, who is Jesus, who is the God that we serve, and this is it, the life that you live. You have a choice. Love is not love, I believe, unless I choose to love. You tell me I have to do something, I do it in response to you telling me I'm doing it, but love is a choice. And God gave us a choice to sin. So when man chooses to listen and obey, we choose to love and worship, right? Adam and Eve were deceived, and we get this picture of the Garden of Eden there in Genesis. God creates this garden, beautiful place. Adam and Eve are there, sit there, and said, subdue it, he said. This is yours. I have created it with you and for you, and now subdue it, be over it. But here's this one thing. Imagine, like this Garden of Eden, you might think like, hey, maybe it's two square miles or something like that. The Garden of Eden was huge. This is this earth. Like he put us in this garden and everything was beautiful and you can have it all and you can go and do with it what you please. Subdue it. Put it under your authority. But don't eat of this one fruit. And we don't know the time frame between when he said that all right, and, and when they were in front of that tree and the serpent's talking to Eve. We don't know the timeline, but it happened. And I imagine that it was some time that they were enjoying this garden. And then this one thing, this one place, they end up here. They're there for whatever reason. And the serpent is prowling like a lion. He's waiting for his moment. And there in that moment, he says the question, which we talked about, did God really say that? And they're thinking back on the time, like, did God really say that? They're really asking the question. Did God really say that? And therefore questioning who God is and his authority. But God did really say that. Because they doubted and then they entered in and they took the fruit and they ate it. Now there's sin. But God gave them a choice. And you look at that and say, man, why did God even give them a choice? You should be celebrating that God gave him the choice that there's evil to choose and there's good to choose. Because that means you and I worship as a choice. Otherwise, we'd be robots like walking around, like doing exactly like just what God says. We'd be like the angels. We were just given like this is what you do. But it's not true worship. And so God gives creation, us, a choice to worship. 
And so therefore, when we worship him, it's a sweet-smelling incense. When our obedience and love for God ascends to him, it smells sweet because it's a choice to obey him. And it's off-putting to him like a you know, burning of trash when we disobey God, the smell of that he has to back away from when we sin. So this is the choice. This is life that we were given by God. So you have to look at this scripture. This, this is in our faces. We read through the scripture that there was a people that came, met Jesus, and rejected him. And we all have this choice. It also pin, pins this down really well. Mark describes this, that in that decision these people are making, we see the cost is a factor. And Jesus describes this as he's walking along throughout his uh, ministry years, that life, you know, the, there is a way, a narrow road that leads to life. And there's a wide road that leads to destruction. And here in this moment, these people from the region walk out, they see their livelihoods, maybe fifty dollars to $100,000 worth of pigs just got swallowed up by the sea, they're drowned. There's our livelihood just there, right? We're looking at Jesus. He might be a miracle worker and a powerful one who just did this miraculous thing, but we're gonna reject you because you cost us something. And following Jesus will cost you. Some of you may have counted that cost recently. Following Jesus will cost you. Even though salvation is a free gift, you are saved by grace through faith in him. And it's free. But as you begin to follow him, and if you've followed him for any length of time, you recognize this, there is a cost in following Jesus. And they're confronted with that immediately. The disciples were confronted with it. And yet they followed him. And the third observation I want to make is this. Jesus was on mission and gave a mission. Verse 18 goes like this, right? As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much, you, uh, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And so Jesus here re, you know, rejected the request of that one man who gained his life back. You can't come, Jesus said. Jesus gave him in return a mission to go back into the place that had originally rejected Jesus and rejected him. Right? You are too much. And so they had pushed him out. He now lived in the cemetery. They had given up on him. Right? No one can subdue him. We tried chaining him, and here's this guy. Right? They, they had rejected him. They know him as that guy, and he's the one. Seemingly, in this moment, Jesus chose to send back into this place. In fact, I would call this guy, the demon-possessed guy, if we can call him that, let's call him Gary. Gary is going back into this region as the seed of hope of Jesus Christ. The one who was rejected has now become the one with the seed of hope, the message of Jesus. Jesus knew his testimony of life change would be a powerful witness. 
I think we don't often realize how powerful our witness is. You know, where we're sitting throughout the week, the people that were sitting around, the people that are watching us, we can forget how powerful our witness is because we're used to relating with Christ and thinking about our story. But there's someone in your life right now, they don't know your story. Or you're not letting them to be close enough to you to know your story. I was thinking about this this week, like it's really not the sweet life that attracts people to the Jesus in me. Like when I'm thinking about like what's attracted people to like lean in and ask questions about my faith or ask the questions about Jesus, it's usually they're seeing the rough stuff, they're seeing the edges, right? They're seeing like the turmoil and, and all of that. And it's the way that I worship anyway, in spite of it all, that attracts people in to ask the questions that are powerful and say, man, what is going on in your life that you're still smiling and praising God and all this is going on? You know, that challenges me. Like, man, if I would let people in close enough to see the holes in my life, the weaknesses, I'd probably have a stronger witness. But don't we like keep people out at bay, right? We keep them like far enough out. We keep the safety bubble around us so people don't see our flaws and we think we're being a good witness. Because we got it all figured out, we got a good witness. Come on, there's at least one person you've done it before. Like, you, you, you straighten up, right? And people, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. You put the smile on, you, you grab your Bible. Oh, better grab the bigger one. Big Bertha. This is my lifeline. It's beautiful. Jesus is great. Yes, life is amazing. Just all fluffy and cuddles. And then you go home and you're like... Man, this stinks. But you won't let that out. The what if, man, what if our witness could be strengthened today as we look at this and say, man, people could see where I'm weak, he is strong. That could change somebody's life who's really, really struggling with weakness really struggling through the season. And this is the beautiful thing, and my fourth observation is this, that this is really like Jesus sitting up. This beautiful witness, a moment for witness, is that Jesus went for that one. Jesus knew. When he said, let's cross over to the other side, he's thinking of the one. And this is annoying to the disciples, right? They're getting back in the boat, and they're like, my goodness, All of that for that guy? That Gary? What's up with, what's so special about Gary? Jesus didn't do this for me. Thank goodness he left him here. He probably smells. Wouldn't want him in the boat anyway. I can hear the resentment in the disciples as they're getting back in. They didn't even have lunch. Not that they could because it was probably bacon. But here is a moment that we can't pass this moment that Jesus literally went across for one and then to be rejected by all and then he rejects the request of the one to come with him and he says, go home. 
Go back to the people who rejected you. Go into that community because you now have everything that I need them to hear in that community. And we know in Revelation says this, that you will be set free, that much freedom is going to come by the power of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. And so this guy goes back in, shares his testimony with this community. You're like, what happened? Well, praise God, we have the Bible, right? Look over, chapter 7. If you're in your Bibles, please flip over. Look at this. Chapter 7, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to wrap this up. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon of the, to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he, he put his fingers into his ears, and he's spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetah. That is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So Jesus does this miraculous healing back in the same area as the Decapolis, right? So Jesus is here in the region again. And verse 36, and Jesus charged them, tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. That's significant to me because this is the same region that was rejecting God. Now they're proclaiming the goodness of God. Come on, somebody's getting excited. And they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And that continues. Remember chapters don't exist before. We, we, we canonize it, but here we go. And it continues in those days. Remember this significant. Mark says when they're traveling, he says they go from this place to this place. They use the word immediate. Mark doesn't do that. And here he says, in those days, same place, same time, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry, their homes, they will be faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away and they ate and were satisfied and they took up broken pieces and there were seven buses left over and you guys know this. And immediately he got into the boat and with his disciples and went to another place. This is Jesus back in the same region. And I've got to imagine in that crowd of 4,000, just, just this is the words of Bryce, we didn't see it here, we didn't see it, but I'm saying, I'm thinking, somebody planted a seed of hope in that region. Somebody was sent back in with a testimony of God's goodness and, and I'm thinking, man, this would be crazy if I had a movie picture of this scene and I, I would see this guy in the crowd. Gary's sitting in the crowd going, I told you. That's my Jesus. Come on, right? He's there. He's got to be there. Jesus is coming back into the, into the region. You better believe he was there. But he's been going around priming the pump, the pump sharing his story in this region. And they're thirsty. They're hungry for more of God. They want to know who Jesus is. This is beautiful. And it's hard because I go, man, if he crossed the Susquehanna for me from York, right? And he comes over, so I drop in the York bomb. So if he comes and he, he's, he comes across the Susquehanna and this is my region. I have a moment with Jesus right there. He changes my life. He heals me and saves me. He says, I'll see you later. Stay, go home, share the story, even though they all rejected you. What does Susquehanna, the region look like? What does Lancaster look like when he comes back around? Are they hungry and thirsty for God? Or are they still rejecting? 
I hear this story and I'm challenged thinking, there are ones in my life it costs too much to go after. There are ones in my life that just, you know, for me, it's just like I'm giving up. Whatever, man, they've rejected me too many times. It's too hard to even sit at a table like at Thanksgiving with them. You want me to tell them about Jesus? What? But every single one of you in this room, you know who Jesus is. You have a story to tell. A seed of hope is in you. The Christ that is that has been bowed to by this demon-possessed one who has begged to get permission by those evil spirits in this man. That same Jesus who is bowed in front of his hope, his glory, his person is in you. You have the hope of glory, the seed in you, and you have a story of hope, a story of redemption, and you are supposed to be telling it. You're supposed to be priming the pump so the day when the word of Jesus enters into the area or into the region, everybody marvels at who Jesus is and they run because they're hungry to know more. And so I ask you, who is the one? Who is the one in your life? And in with this, and just to, because I, I can't leave this without telling you that my story, I feel like the one often. And I, I'm wrecked this week because 40 years ago, which is crazy to say, I'm 40 years old, 40 years ago, my, my mom is raped and goes to a doctor, is sitting in front of that doctor and is told, we can, we can end it now, this is it. You never have to think about it again. You can go through your healing and it's over. And that, that day, my mom had the seed of hope. Even though she was wrecked, and she'd lost a lot of trust and faith in the church because this is where the hurt came from. But God, so big and so powerful and so awesome in her world and her life, the word did not return void. It was in there and it was strong. And she said, no, I, I know God has a calling for this one. And so I'm here standing in front of you that I'm celebrating life this week, that I live in a place that celebrates life. And there's been some change. But I'm here also to say, like, like, this should shift our perspective about the ones. That we'll go to town and, and go crazy about the ones that have lost their life, but there are many ones around us all day that need us to stand up, that are, that are dying, that won't go to heaven without us sharing our story and going the next mile, doing the hard things to bring the, the story and the redemptive story of Christ into those hard places. And I'm here standing, and, and you've heard a lot about begging today. I'm begging you to become somebody who would go the distance for the one. Because I look at my life and it's just a redemptive story. Like I, I deserve none of this. I didn't deserve to be a dad of eight boys. Like I don't, I don't deserve that in my mind. Like it just wrecks me. I don't deserve to be standing in front of you teaching you. There's so many better teachers than me. I just think of all these things that could be done differently. I'm going, God, you have a funny sense of humor. You're ridiculous. You're, it's just stupid to me. But Wow. Here I am and like, I don't deserve, I thought most of my life that I was a mistake. But somebody along the way, many people believed in me and entered into that, entered into my story and shared their hope in Christ. And I'm standing here today because of that.
And I celebrate my mom who saw it. I celebrate the faith in those that spoke to her about it. So she had it that day, and I celebrate all those along my journey that did the same. And I'm calling you out today, church. We need to go the distance for the one. Don't have fright. Have faith. He did it for you. Who is the one in your life? Will you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love, your mercy and great grace that you went the distance for the one. I thank you for going the distance for us. I pray that you give us faith and boldness and courage. Thank you, Jesus, in this room today, somebody's receiving your grace, your forgiveness afresh. And someone in this room has been revived in urgency to share that great grace. And I just thank you for doing that in our midst and working it out for your good, for your good. In Jesus' name, amen.